Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Malachi 3, beginning in verse 6. God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed or destroyed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. That was a repetitive problem with the people of Israel. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? This is God now speaking. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes? and contributions, or that might be translated offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I will rebuke the devourer, for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear says the lord of hosts then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the lord of hosts wow a lot riding on their faithfulness with the tithe and with offering so today we're going to talk about tithing and generosity in the new covenant uh, I think this is going to be a little bit more of a teach than a preach. And it's a little bit awkward, you know, being the pastor getting up and saying, you know, you need to tithe and give your offering, you know, because I think a lot of pastors might kind of shy away from doing that. But it's very important for me to be a faithful steward of the Word of God and to communicate the Word of God as it is communicated to us, right? So we're going to just push through all that, maybe that weird awkwardness. Um, you're going to have to trust that my motive is not selfish. Um, we, Jesus is building his church, and God wants us to prosper in every way. And I want you to prosper. I want me to prosper. And uh, it's important for me to be faithful and clarify what it looks like for us to be a people who prosper. So more of a teach than a preach. I don't want this to be so much, uh, I don't, I don't want to move your emotions. Although if I do, that's fine. I'm happy to do that. But I, I want to speak to you in, in, in the realm of your reason, your mind, your thinking, because you're going to have to make a decision today. And then you're going to have to go away from today and act on that decision. And then you're going to have to act on that decision consistently through your life and be tested over and over again on that decision. And so we can hear the word of God and in our spirit, revelation come and then use uh, our reason and our decision to take action and act on that word, right? And I want you to do that today, not just be moved emotionally today for a response today, but to perhaps shift and change your perspective and, or maybe just reinforce how you've already been living. Does that sound good? Father, we love you and thank you for your presence. Lord, we're talking about money and 
this is a topic that can trigger us. Uh, Lord, we struggle in this area a lot because uh, sometimes we feel like we don't have enough. Um, when there have been seasons that perhaps we've had a lot, Lord, maybe we haven't done so well in stewarding. Things came to the surface. But Lord, we just want to be faithful with what you've given us. And we see it all really belonging to you. You, get, you, you allow us to steward it, steward it all. So Lord, help us to hear from your word, see clearly. We want to hear you speak. Lord, we want to approach the word in a reasonable, wise, intelligent, rational way. Lord, may we not make any excuses. May we just hear the word and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but um, you know our upbringing and what we've heard about money can affect us a lot. Obviously, we talked a bit about that last week. Uh, but you know, the whole idea of tithing and giving generously has never really been kind of an intellectual hurdle for me because I grew up in a church. Uh, it was a word of faith, charismatic church. I wasn't actually born again, I don't think, at this time. Who knows? But I think I really got saved at 21. But I did spend some time in this church, and they preached a lot about money and generosity and the tithe and how really the tithe was the starting place and that, you know, they, they would teach on money being like a seed that you could sow and receive more money in return. And they would have probably been, um, I guess, renounced by some because of their, their uh, they, they would be perceived as preaching a, quote, prosperity gospel or something. But whatever it was, there was something sown in me that it was just normal for me to think, yeah, you give, you set aside 10% of your money, and that belongs to God, and then you give offerings even beyond that. I, in fact, tithing was so ingrained in my soul as a child that when I wasn't serving Jesus, I'm getting high, smoking weed on the weekends, and well, pretty much every day by the time I was in my third year at uni, and and, and yet, I'm sending a tithe check with my mom to her church. <laughs> like, what is up with that? Well, I didn't care anything about serving Jesus, but I was going to pay my tithe because there was this thing in me, like, if I'm going to have any chance of walking in blessing, I need to be faithful uh, with the first 10%. Now, I'm sure there was a lot that the Lord wanted to get life right in my life beyond that, but hey, I was faithful with the tithe. But the point was, our upbringing, what we've heard, what, what we've been inclined to believe, there's this emotional part of money, but then there's this part of what's been sown into us from a child. But this is exactly what God is saying to the people of Israel, that there's something important about your money, and how you steward your money is either going to position you, what he says, for curse or for blessing. So the people of Israel had been in captivity. They had been taken as slaves uh, by Babylon. Think Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After that season, they had come back to Israel, to Ju Judah and Jerusalem, were setting up their homes, had been around for about 100 years. Everything's supposed to be glorious, but yet things are really difficult. And God, through Malachi, begins to clarify why things are hard for them. It's because their spiritual hunger was weak. Uh, they were complacent, they weren't pursuing God, they were worshiping idols, and all of that was working itself out in what they were doing with their resource, with the proceeds of their farming, with, with what they were uh, using as money at that time. 
They wanted immediate blessing and restoration after returning from exile. So they're questioning, why is this happening? What's going on? And God clarifies that one of their major problems has been that they're not honoring God with their money. And God says that by withholding from him what is rightfully his, which is the tithe, he goes so far as to say that they are stealing from him. They're robbing him. And so as a result of their unfaithfulness with their money, there is this response that happens that almost seems like it's, it, it's, it opens a door for what he calls the devourer. Okay, it's like there's this spiritual entity, entity, this demonic principality that when we don't tithe or when they weren't tithing, had this freedom, had this authority to come in and devour, destroy their crops. But as they began to be faithful with the tithe, God was saying, I will rebuke this principality. I will rebuke this demonic power. And this power, this force will not be able to devour your financial situation if they will bring the tithe. Isn't it interesting? Like if that's true, and if there, if, think about how significant that is, all right? If there was a devourer then at that time, and if there is actually a spiritual entity that is given this open door into our finances based on how we steward our, our money, wouldn't it make sense that that principality would still be on the loose today, right? It's, it's a spiritual force. There's something happening in the world. Uh, there are powers and principalities, Paul says, that have influence and only have influence in the lives of the people of God to the degree which they are given authority by us, either through our rebellion or disobedience to God or, or idolatry or lack of faith, unbelief, whatever. So think about that. If that's true, we need to consider this. These are some pretty high stakes. Like, I don't know about you, but I do not want a devourer having any authority in my financial situation. I want to make sure that door is completely closed. Is anybody else with me on this? 100%. So let's talk about this tithe. What is the tithe? A tithe is the first one-tenth of your increase. Your increase refers to your income. This is whatever comes into your bank account as your salary, whatever you pay yourself out of your business. That is your personal increase. And God is saying that the tithe, the first tenth of that, belongs to me. Now, the first mention of a tenth being given goes all the way back 500 years even before the law was given to Abraham, who you may have read the story, that who gave one-tenth. So what happened was Abraham had this nephew Lot, right? And Lot got taken away into captivity by these, because he happened to be in this city that was attacked by these five kings that went to attack them. And uh, he got taken away. And so Abraham, with his small force of men, he had this small army, and by with God's help and by God's power, went and basically destroyed these five kings to take Lot and uh, get him back as his family member, right? So then, I mean, you think about after defeating these kings, he basically plundered them and had the gross national product of five nations. I mean, he was, think about that, Abraham, wealthy man. 
And then he gives a tenth of that to this guy, Melchizedek, who Hebrews, in Hebrews we learn, is actually a type of Christ or perhaps even an embodiment of Christ himself in the Old Testament, in the Old, uh, under the Old Covenant, Melchizedek. So all the way back to Genesis 14, we can put that, that verse up, Abram gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. And so Abraham had just rescued Lot, like I said, and gave him, gave, after plundering the, these five nations, gave a tenth to Melchizedek. But the tithe that, Mel, that uh, Malachi was referring to was actually a part of the Old Testament law. And we see this mentioned in Leviticus. Uh, let's look at verse 30. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Leviticus 27, 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. So here we see that the tithe belongs to who? He says it's the Lord's. It belongs to him. It's holy. It's set apart. It's different. The first tenth is different than the rest. It shall be holy to the Lord. Imagine if one of your friends finds out, who's not a believer, that you set aside a tenth of your income to bring into the storehouse of your local church. Imagine what their response is going to be. They're going to say, wow, that's generous. But what's interesting is, is if what this is saying is true, that the first tenth actually already belongs to God, then we haven't been generous at all. It's already set apart. It's already his. We're just setting apart what rightfully belongs to him. And then our generosity begins after the 10%. And so this is why God says that if you're not giving the tithe, then you're robbing me. This is an important realization to have. We see then again in Numbers 18, verse 20, the purpose of the tithe. The Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So the nation of Israel was divided into 12 tribes. 11 of those tribes received an inheritance of land. One of them, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, they didn't get any land. They didn't get any inheritance like the others except for the tithe of all of the income of the 11 other tribes. That was the inheritance of the Levites. All right, so the Levites were the ones who were to provide for the spiritual needs of the community of Israel. They were to oversee all the worship at the temple and then were stationed throughout the land in other places to uh, to teach God's word and to care for spiritually the nation of Israel. And so the purpose of the tithe was to support the spiritual leaders of the community. Now, interestingly, side note, if we dig a little bit deeper into the law of Moses, we can actually see that there was, there was the regular tithe, which was the first 10% that belonged to the, the Levites. But then did you know that there was actually a second tithe? There was an additional 10%. So little known fact, the people of Israel actually contributed 20% of their income 
not counting other things that they did to be generous. All right, so in the, in the nation of Israel, uh, there were certain years that were, uh, the tithe was, an additional tithe was dedicated to different things. So in the third and the sixth year, every three years, there was a tithe that was received for the poor, an additional 10%. It was all like stockpiled in there in different cities, and the poor could just come and take the fruits and, uh, and some meat, and, you know, they, they, it was given to the poor. Then in those other years, this is interesting, there was an additional 10% in the, what is it, first, second, fourth, and fifth year that was set aside to pay for their annual spiritual pilgrimages, their family holidays. Set this apart and use this to go and celebrate and worship the Lord in the festivals in Jerusalem. So so you set this apart. You're not going to be able to work as much during that time. You're going to have to walk to Jerusalem. And so they had their own little kind of revival conference, right? Okay, so they're setting aside resources for these uh, pilgrimages. So every year, 10% to the Levites and an additional 10% for these other things. Of course, we know that under the new covenant, we have spiritual leaders. Now, while each of us direct relately to Jesus as our high priest. And there's a sense where there's a a priesthood in all of us because we can all freely come to Jesus, uh, come to God on our own, right? But um, we also know that in Scripture that we have spiritual leaders. There are people that God has called to lead us spiritually, although it's different than the Levites. In Ephesians 4, we find that Jesus gives gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints. We see in the book of Acts that the apostles vocationally set themselves apart for uh, time in the word and in ministry. And so just like the Levites were not able to invest themselves in working land because they had other responsibilities that weren't entrepreneurial, uh, the, there are spiritual leaders and in the church today that are dependent upon the faithfulness of God's people to bring a tithe. So under the new covenant, then, what is this, this storehouse? Well, the storehouse under the new covenant is your local church. And there's a reason for this. I'll explain this. But the regular tithe for uh, the Levites was, so we said, this God-ordained set contribution to those that were in spiritual authority for their personal support. And so under the new covenant, they had these storehouses that were all across the nation of Israel and people would come and bring their tithe there. And it was the Levites responsibility to receive that resource, receive the tithes and uh, those offerings, and then use it and disperse it in uh, in a way that reflected good stewardship. And so their responsibility was to manage the tithes of the nation. And being, you know, dispersed all throughout the nation, they would have had different storehouses in different parts of the country. Now, I find it interesting. If Wouldn't it make sense that if God was willing and, and felt it was important to have a system and a process that was predetermined, Uh, to care for the Levites, the spiritual leaders of that day, wouldn't it make sense that God would have a, how much more, I would even say, that God would have 
a way of providing for the, uh, the needs and the resource of spiritual leaders in the new covenant. Doesn't that just make sense? God would not leave the provision of spiritual leaders under the new covenant, which is even greater than the old covenant, up to the hopeful generosity of a few. If that was the case, then what that would mean is that as pastors, as leaders, we would have to make appeals to you for your generosity. Making an appeal for generosity is like, it's almost like, hey, can you just step up and do this? Rather than what I believe is really um, the, the biblical pattern, which is, hey, this is the standard. God has said, this is how we steward our money. This is how we set it apart. The first tenth belongs in the local church. And then as we are faithful with that, the church becomes what God has called the church to become. Jesus builds the church, but the church needs resource, just like the Levites needed resource, just like they needed provision. Uh, they didn't have an inheritance. Um, as a Christian minister, as a leader of this church, there is an expectation that God has to, uh, of me to devote myself to prayer and the word. That means that there is time. If I give time to entrepreneurial activities that are significant, then that means there's other things that I can't do, right? And it's not my job to beg or plead or say, um, hey, can you please be generous? It's, hey, this is the, this is the God-ordained way that the church is going to prosper and be blessed, right? That this is how, how, how as we direct our, our resources in this way. Some might say, well, why isn't tithing more overtly mentioned in the New Testament? Because the reality is there's, Jesus mentions tithing, uh, and he doesn't say we shouldn't tithe, but he references uh, tithing in the context of how the Pharisees were making a big deal out of tithing, but were not caring for their parents. Um, so we know that tithing was a very important part of the Jewish culture that Jesus came, came, you know, was teaching in. And so we know that the early church would have no doubt had a very strong sense of obligation to tithe because that's just what you did. That's what we did under the old covenant. So we're, we're, they were Jews, right? That's what Jews did. But I would say that I think the reason we don't see a lot of explicit um, command in the New Testament to tithe is, one, because there's an, an assumption that it's already a part of the moral law of God, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But there's this sense that to, to say to the early church, you must tithe, was, first of all, obvious, but they were going so far beyond the tithe in their generosity that that would have almost seemed like a downgrade. So they're selling... Uh, properties, you know, they're selling their, their belongings and laying it at the apostles' feet in this overwhelm of gratitude for what God had done. So there is a place of extreme generosity God wants to take us to, but what I'm trying to help us understand, we've got a shift and change in our worldview and our perspective, is that the first tenth of what comes in, our income, it isn't actually even ours. It belongs to God, and we are to place it where where he has called it to be and to go. Bringing your tithe to God in your local church honors his delegated authority. Now, this is a challenging passage of scripture here 
for us in our very egalitarian culture, right? We're all on the same page, on the same level. We reject the idea that there is some kind of authority that is above us, right? We mock our politicians. You know, we make fun of those who are in leadership. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's like, okay, this guy's going to stand up and tell me that, that he has authority in my life. There are limits to the authority that uh, pastors have in your life. Uh, but no doubt, Hebrews 13, 7, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are, why? Because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for, what, for that would be of no advantage to you. That Greek word translated obey uh, could also mean to trust or to be persuaded by. The general sense is, okay, there's a reason that God has put these people in my life, and I need to make it easy for them to lead by recognizing that God wants to use those people to uh, speak into my heart and into my life. Somebody's trying to get in that door, so somebody might need to come unlock that door. They might have to go around. It's all right. So this is what God does. Just as there were Levites, there were those, there are those under the new covenant in the church whom God places in leadership. And our heart attitude should be, okay, God's put this person in my life to, I need to learn from them. I need to be equipped by them. Um, I mean, after all, that's an important part of being a part of a covenant family. There's a spiritual mom and dad, and there's leaders, Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, who exist to equip God's people for works of ministry. And so one of the things that we see with the Levites is that the tithe flows um, along lines of spiritual authority. When the New Testament sold, when the, the, the early church sold their belongings and what, what did they do with it? They didn't just throw it around wherever they wanted to throw it around. They, they laid it at the apostles' feet. There was a recognition of the stewardship that God had given them, and they are accountable to God for what they do with that money. And so what, what Hebrews is saying here is trust your leaders. Let your trust be so great that you are willing to bring the tithe into the storehouse. And so obviously for me as a, as a church leader, that's a significant responsibility and stewardship. And we have systems and processes around making sure that money is managed in a God-honoring way. But God delegates spiritual authority into our lives. And one of the ways that we honor God and honor that reality that God is, has placed leaders in our lives is that we're faithful with the tithe. As we bring the tithe into the storehouse, we are acknowledging, recognizing that God has called me to be a part of supporting the vision of this church, which not only includes my salary, Olivia's salary, but the salaries of all the other staff that we're going to bring on in the future uh, that covers the, the facilities, just as ties, I'm sure, at that time would have gone uh, to, to some degree caring for uh, things related to, to the temple and practical things. We want to have a building. We want to have facilities. And if every single believer is faithful with the tithe, then there will be an abundance for the church to be faithful uh, and, and to, um, to bring people on staff and to uh, acquire property and all those things that we have a vision to do. And so some uh, have approached tithing with this attitude or mindset that, 
well, the first 10%, yeah, it belongs to God, but I get to distribute that wherever I want to distribute it. You know, I can give a portion to my friends or family who are in need, or I could give a portion to support a sponsored child. Um, I could give a portion to a church I visited, or, you know, I listen to this podcast a lot, so I'm going to send them some of my tithe. Uh, and we have this mindset that the first 10%, I just need to give it somewhere and I can spread it around. But that actually doesn't honor the biblical principle of bringing the tithe into the storehouse and supporting and recognizing the relational God-ordained leadership that God places into our lives. God places us in family. He sovereignly directs us not to show up at an event. I mean, it's the event, church as an event mentality that makes us think, all right, I'm the consumer. I'm going to come pay you for the little bit I got, but I get something from this one over here. I'm going to pay them, and I can spread this out wherever I want to. Now, there's a sense where God places us in family. God directs us. We should hear the voice of God and have a conviction that I'm not just attending the church of my choice. I am being, I'm connected into the life of the church of God's choice. And one of the ways that we reflect our passion and our vision is we have this attitude that the first 10%, no matter how difficult things get financially, the first 10% belongs to the Lord. It's the first tenth. It's not the tenth that's left over or whatever percentage is left over after all the bills are paid. For Lives and I, the very first thing that we pay each month, it's the tithe. Send that transfer. We use push pay. Just send that tithe on through. The very first thing, because it doesn't matter how difficult it might be cash flow-wise at the end of the month, the last thing that I want to do is to have failed to bring the tithe into the storehouse. I tithe just like you. And then open the door to the devourer. Some people have all kinds of financial chaos and calamity in their lives, extremely in debt, all this, all this, you know, difficulty. Why is that? Well, and then you question them, are you being faithful with the tithe? Well, no, I'm not really. I'm, it, I, I don't have enough money to be faithful with the tithe. Well, wait a minute. We're looking at this the wrong way around. If the tithe is the first 10%, then we must be faithful there first and trust God with the remaining. So the good, a good question to ask yourself is, is who, who are the pastors that God is uh, going to hold accountable for my soul? That's the place where the tithe belongs. Tithing is a moral law, just like the Ten Commandments, and must still be honored under the new covenant. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I won't go too much into this for the sake of time, but when you look at the Old Testament law, there are three types of law. There's ceremonial law. Uh, that was all the laws about uh, you know, bringing sacrifices and, and what had to be done to receive forgiveness from God. Uh, annually for the sins of the people. Then you had the civil laws, which was this is how uh, God has said that the nation of Israel must operate. All right, you can look through Leviticus and see all these uh, civil laws in there. But then there are the moral laws. And when you look at Scripture, it's very clear that the moral laws of God pass through the cross, and Jesus has, through his death, burial, and uh, his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, he has um, essentially 
fulfilled the ceremonial and the civil law in his death, burial, and resurrection. So we don't need to go offer the bloods of bulls and goats. We have a greater blood sacrifice that's been given for us. We don't need civil laws because we are not, we don't need those civil laws because we're not the nation of Israel. Although those civil laws can be very useful for a godly kingdom government to know what a God-honoring government can look like. And there are very beneficial principles there, but we're not responsible to obey that. But the moral law is even after the resurrection of Christ, is honored and glorified. And so just like do not uh, commit adultery, be faithful, do not fornicate, do not indulge in sexual immorality, why is that? Because it reflects the moral law of God. You see even James who speaks uh, multiple times in Scripture in the New Testament, honoring the moral law as an understanding of we must honor this. This is what reflects the holiness of the people of God. And so in the same way, the tithe passes through the cross uh, as a part of the moral law. Finally, let's uh, better keep moving here. The command to tithe is a test of our trust in God as provider. So the tithe is, in the context of the moral law, is really a, uh, an application, I would see it, as the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me. And Jesus says here in Matthew 6, you can't serve two masters. You either hate the one or, or, and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. One of the greatest competitors for the affection of our heart competing with God is money. And the, the tithe is this continual challenge to us, test from God to us to trust God as our provider. We tend to get a lot of things out of money that we're supposed to get from God. We tend to feel secure when we have money, uh, but we should feel secure because why? God is our provider. We often can go to money for significance. I feel good about myself because of, of the amount of money that I have. But God says, no, no, I am your God. You should not go to money for significance. You come to me for significance. I'm the one because of my identity I've given you, because what I've declared you to be, that is your source of meaning and security and significance. The number 10 in the Bible is a number of testing. Tithing, of course, being a tenth. But God, listen to this, God tested Pharaoh 10 times with 10 plagues. God tests the hearts of people with 10 commandments. God tested Israel in the wilderness 10 times. God tested Jacob's heart by, allow, by allowing his wages to be changed 10 times. God tested Daniel for 10 days. There were 10 virgins in Jesus' parable, each tested. God tested the church in Smyrna with 10 days of suffering. 10 in scripture is a number of testing. The tithe is a tenth. Tithing is also a test for us. God is testing us and inviting us even to put him to the test. That's what I love about the Malachi. Just test me. If, you're, if you think it's, you know, if you're not too sure about this, just put me to the test. Test me. Watch what I do as you begin to set aside a tenth. And then finally, wrapping up, tithing is just the beginning of our God-honoring financial management. Our ultimate goal is extreme generosity. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 
Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the tithe is just the entree. It's just the beginning. It's just where we start. God gives us a command to set aside a certain percentage, and then he gives us this freedom to give beyond that wherever we see fit. So we might give offerings to a, a global vision offering that NUMA has. We might give offerings to a sponsored child. We might give offerings to wherever. We might be generous and, and give to those who are in need. But God calls us even beyond the tithe to sow seeds, to be generous. Has anybody ever experienced in their life, you've, you know, you, you've really needed God's provision and you, he, he, you sense him asking you to give like this very large amount of money. And then God just comes through crazily afterwards. I've had that time, happen in my life time and time and time again. One of the things that we did for many years is raise our own financial support, where as, as missionaries, we were going to other Christians and asking them to give an offering beyond their tithe to support our ministry and our work. And so there were some high, high moments. There were some low moments. And then there were times that God called us to move overseas. And uh, every single one of those times, I remember this one time, I don't even, uh, yeah, I do remember, we, we had almost no money. And I felt God say to give a $1,000 gift to my, uh, to my pastor at the time who was also moving to another place. And this was, a, this was something we could not afford to give. That was a massive amount of money for us at the time. We were struggling financially. We were living back in the States, and it was extremely difficult. But I, I, we, we gave him this gift just knowing that we were just about to start raising money, and we needed to raise like $25,000 to get back to Australia. And so we sow this gift, and uh, it's like, all right, God, I'm going to sow this, and I'm trusting you to come through for me. So we do that, and then, long story short, I've, I'm out on the, on the trail. I'm trying to raise support. I'm seeing people. Uh, I'm sharing the vision. God's calling us back to Australia, and I raised like $3,000, which is great. I was happy for that, but I needed $25,000, and I needed $12,000 by the following Tuesday, and so I'm working hard. I get like another, I think I get up to $5,500. And then I go to church on Sunday. I've got to book my flights on Tuesday because the deal ends and I got to have 12 grand to book the flight. If I don't book it that day, it's going to go up. I'm going to have to have thousands more. And so I'm like, God, you got to come through. If I'm going to, we're going to do this. I got to have 12 grand by Tuesday. So I go to church on Sunday and um, I've got like $5,500. And I see this guy and he's like, oh, my daughter couldn't come to church today, but she wanted to, me to give you this, this gift. And it was a little envelope gives to me. And uh, I was like, oh, that's nice. I thought, oh, it's probably a nice gift, maybe, you know, $500 or something. That would be very generous for her to give. Like, that was, I would have been super thankful for that. And so I go out and I sit in the car and I open this up, $6,500, exactly what I needed. Two days later, brought me to $12,000, was able to book my flights. Miraculously, over the next several weeks, another like $12,000 came in. We were able to ship our stuff over and cover our expenses. Then we got here and we just had all this money uh, that started flooding into us. But all along that way, there were moments that God says, okay, I need you. If you want me to come through for you, I need you 
to trust me so much that you're willing to sow this seed and watch what I do on the other side of it. God calls us to an extreme generosity beyond what we think we can afford at times. And then God comes through mightily on the other side of that. All right, let's finish up. If the team can come back up and uh, just want us to respond to this. Again, this is, the goal today was not to move emotion, but just to bring understanding and to cause you to think about some things that maybe you haven't thought about. Some things where the, the stakes are obviously quite high. One of the challenges of having more income that comes in is we have to make a choice. What do you do when your business goes from paying you 100 grand a year to 150 grand a year? What do you do when your salary goes from 50 grand a year to 70 grand a year? We have, an, we have a choice. We can say, all right, I'm going to increase and elevate my lifestyle. Or I'm going to, sure, maybe do that, but I'm also going to elevate my giving. The picture we get from Jesus under, in, the, in, in the New Testament is that he expects, like when I think about the woman who put in this little coin, gave all that she had and gave so much more from Jesus' perspective than the one who, who put in actual more dollar, more, more, a larger amount than that. And Jesus is not so much looking at how much are we giving, but how much is left over after we've given. In other words, how much, to what degree are we increasing our lifestyle greater than we're increasing our giving? And listen, I know living in the nation we live in, interest rates are high, times are tough. Um, it's challenging. We're drawn into all these different directions. But what I want us to begin to think about is that God is actually asking us, even beyond the tithe, to say, okay, Lord, as you increase blessing in my life, what does it look like for me to begin to set aside a larger and larger percentage of my income? to be generous towards others. Paul says, decide what you're gonna do. And so this is a very thoughtful thing. There's a decisive element to this. It affects how we're gonna budget things. Do I, and maybe what if we're not even tithing? And you might say, well, I can't tithe because I, I've only got just enough income to meet the expenses that I have if I tithe. Listen, I get it. I feel your pain. But if the tithe is the first tenth, if it belongs to God, then we actually don't have an option but to set that aside. That's just our minimal level of faithfulness to God with our money. And so uh, we may have to do some practical things. I sold a car recently and downgraded. Why? So that I would have more room in the budget. Other things are getting more expensive. I'm not going to allow myself to be positioned where I, I can't, if I give the tithe, then there's nothing left, right? So in other words, I've got to begin to reshape things in my budget if necessary to spend less so that I can be faithful with the tithe. It's very practical, very costly to have to make these types of decisions. But these are deeply spiritual questions. God is moved 
the devourer is rebuked. Curses are broken as we steward our finances well. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.